We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey folks, John McKechnie here. Thanks for joining us here on the live stream and on the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. Today is Wednesday, March 9th. We're bumping it up a day early this week in light of yesterday's big news across the NFL. Mario Puig and I are going to dive into all of that, plus our combine reactions and more here on today's show. Let's get it rolling. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. John McKechnie, as always, joined by Mario Puig. This podcast presented to you by our friends over at WinBet. Mario, you know we're we're into we're into March. We are a little bit a little ways away from the league year officially starting. But in true NFL form, no one else can really have the spotlight, even when nothing else theoretically should be going on in the NFL. Tuesday, a couple of seismic items came across and that's not even speaking on the the Calvin Ridley mess from Monday. He must be very happy uh, that he got a little bit out of the spotlight with everything that that went down yesterday. Of course, I'm talking about Aaron Rodgers re-upping with the Packers. Finally, the drama is over there, at least for this year and at least we think. And then of course, the, the even more massive implication type of move was made between the Seattle Seahawks and the Denver Broncos with, with the Broncos finally ponying up and, and getting to answer the question of how good can this team really be if they have an actual quarterback, they acquire Russell Wilson. And I think that the knee jerk reaction across most of Twitter and, and everybody is that Seattle got kind of a light return. And I, I don't, necessarily disagree with that in terms of like the the players that they got back but at the same time with the draft capital that they were able to acquire from Denver you know if you're looking down the road you know that this could be something that we look back on and and be like this was the impetus or or the catalyst of you know a a renaissance in Seattle because it it had started to become clear I think to, to both you and I over the last 16 months or so that that the Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson era seemed to be coming to its close and it ended pretty with a pretty big thud uh, this past season. So your thoughts on Russ making the move to Denver, what that means for them. And then of course, what, what, what Seattle does now. Well, I thought it was a fine return for the Seahawks. Like, I don't know how much more they could reasonably expect. I don't know 
if people think that Russell Wilson's going to play like another 60 years or something, I don't. I think he'll probably play like three, something like that. Um, I mean, he's going to be 34, so so maybe maybe like five years max. So uh, the idea that like this is just giving the Broncos a, a decade of of just you know completely removed quarterback questions or concerns is not something that I believe. So I also tend to believe that Russell Wilson's a little bit overrated. Like he's clearly really good, but you sometimes struggle with with some people to get them to understand that like there's a clear divide between Russell Wilson. And guys like Justin Herbert, Mahomes, uh, I would say Lamar Jackson, uh, obviously Josh Allen, quite a bit better. I would say Kyler Murray at this point is probably better too. But uh, here's the thing that uh, specifically gets missed with Russell Wilson is that um, the pressure that he constantly seems to be under is sort of a necessary condition of his method. Like he specifically ends up in so many of those situations. Not that it was all his fault in Seattle. I mean, they they had some truly bad offensive lines too. Uh, but even when they would improve the pass blocking, you wouldn't really get much different results. And it's because Russell Wilson can't really, for whatever reason, attack the intermediate in the middle of the field that reliably. Like when he does, it's usually because some kind of coverage got blown wide open or the pass rush just kind of wasn't there and he had a big throwing lane that he usually doesn't. But a lot of those times where he's ending up under pressure, there's a guy in the middle of the field, uh, especially in like the intermediate middle of the field, who might have been open and the defense might have kind of left him open because they committed that much more to stopping Metcalf and Lockett on the play in question. And in those situations, Russell Wilson would kind of just end up under pressure because he can't make the throw or couldn't see it, or I don't know what it was exactly. Um, But the intermediate has always been an area he struggled with, and I don't think that's really going to change. I don't think that's a schematic issue with the Seahawks or anything. Um, So it's a big... uh, you know, a big upgrade for the for the Broncos, of course, going from Drew Locke, Bridgewater to Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is still very good, still much better than them. Um, but he's also, I think, a few levels below Aaron Rodgers because Rodgers can just strike everywhere on the field. Uh, he's If the high-low aren't going, Rodgers can get going in the intermediate. And if Wilson is in that situation, I think he just kind of ends up taking a bunch of sacks. So um, I think two firsts, two seconds. Uh, I mean, granted, the fifth-year option is coming up, but Noah Fant is a pretty substantial chip to be getting in that trade. I mean, kind of brutal for Noah Fant's fantasy purposes, but he's done a good job in Denver, and, and he'll probably do an uh, even better job for his own part in Seattle. Like He's probably still developing, even now as a tight end, being an underclassman and, and kind of a little bit raw coming out of Iowa. So that's basically like three first-round picks, two second-round picks, uh, Shelby Harris, I guess, can give you some reps. I don't know. I don't really feel strongly about him either way. Um, the Drew Locke part, of course, is not really anything. But uh, I think, if, if, any, if anything, I would s- much sooner say that the Seahawks kind of got away dodging a bullet, maybe taking this one year too far. Like, maybe they should have tried to do this last year, you know, uh, get a Justin Fields kind of player, something like that, uh, instead of going into this draft with, they have that ninth overall pick, but what are you going to get? Kenny Pickett? Like that's not really doing it for me. So they got a bunch of new uh, resources, you know, as a team front office to rebuild, like you were saying. Um, but it's, you know, it's still kind of a, it's more difficult to do now than last year. And uh, I don't know, I guess, uh, not that this is especially related to what I was just talking about, but Pete Carroll does not seem like he's the guy to get that rebuild going even if they right, don't I, screw up their draft picks. Right. I, I was going to like kind of draw the parallel there because, you, you know, you were laying out that, that it might be a little bit 
oversold how much longer that Russ has as being a, a you know truly good uh, starting NFL quarterback. If you look at Seattle, you know I I really thought that among the the coaches going into last year that you know it is particularly if they struggled the way that Seattle did, that he'd be one of the guys, like an easy call for him to step away from the game, given how long that, that he's been in it. But yeah, now they're, now they're starting this rebuild and, and you know, it, a rebuild is always particularly crucial. It's, it's in its first year of its first iteration. And, you know, if, if they make missteps with, with all this newfound ammo that they have and the glaring need that they have at quarterback now, and then they ax Pete Carroll after next season, you know that Seattle could be in kind of a, a quagmire here if they if they don't navigate this properly. Yeah, if they take some quarterback who just clearly looks terrible this year, and if uh, you know they otherwise don't spend their cap resources, their pick resources well, um, yeah, they could have to fire Carroll because you know they should have already. Basically, uh, if they do it a year from now, there's there's no particular reason why they would do it then. Uh, if they haven't do it, done it before, but um, presumably it has to happen eventually. And the re- results are not going to get better this year. So the idea that Carroll's just going to kind of inspire everyone to rally around him uh, with, with a you know resurgent season, that's off the table. So they're going to have a bad year. And on the one hand, it's like, yeah, they should fire him. They should have fired him a while ago. But if you're going to let him coach this year and then fire him because he had a bad year you might as well fire him now because he's going to have a bad year it's not going to be it's not going to be pretty in seattle this year uh yeah that's the other thing too is like they they have a few of these picks now from this russell wilson trade but they're pretty much bare in terms of team assets aside from just like metcalf lockett's already 30 i think um you know rashad penny's a free agent so he he might if they do keep them, they're going to have to give them a raise. And and as a non-competitive team, I don't really see what's in it for them, even as a Rashad Penny fan. So yeah, they're they're quickly approaching like you know Houston Texans level bad as a roster overall. And uh, it's it's uh, I, I guess it'll be interesting, yeah, to see if they keep doing a fire sale. If if uh, if they move Metcalf, they could probably get two first rounders for him. If they move Lockett, they could probably get like a I don't know something. Not a whole lot, but something. So um, yeah, they're they're however many good players they have this year, it's going to be their production is going to go toward nothing. Like it's they're just not going to be competitive. No, and then you look at the and we'll we'll get into the landscape with with the Broncos here in, in a second too. But you know, any sort of downward momentum that that Seattle is in is going to be accelerated by the fact that you know they get six games against what we think are going to be very good teams next year, whether it's the Rams, the Niners, or if the Cardinals can get their act together as well. So, you know, that this could be, I saw the grin is fair, fair. <laughs> um, but I still think that the Cardinals are, are better than what the Seahawks have right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So the Cardinals can find a way to lose to anyone. The Cardinals, Cardinals got win. talent. Uh, they just have no, you know, no brains. Yeah, exactly. So um, cool way to be. Um, but Regardless, I think that this could get uh, really, really tough for, for Seattle in a hurry. And, and like you said, it'll be interesting to see uh, what other moves come because, you, you know, we saw Bobby Wagner get released uh, late last night. Um, yeah, I could I could certainly see one. They of might Locker lose that Metcalf safety moving. and free agency. Uh, they got no corners, really. But uh, at least they're paying uh, Jamal Adams a lot. So they are paying him quite a bit. Uh, yeah. And. 
I don't know. Carlos Dunlap, I guess, is still there, but he should walk. If, if I don't know if he's under contract, they should trade him. If he is, otherwise, should, they should let him walk. Yeah, it's gonna be brutal. I, I, uh, I don't know. If they do draft a quarterback, they may just put Drew Locke out there as the human shield all year and just pray that he does enough for someone to offer a fourth rounder after the season or something. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. They, they need to get at least a little something out of Drew Locke. You, you would think if he's included in such. A blockbuster deal but let's get on over to the denver side of this one because obviously everyone is going nuts about, about denver you know but even prior to this move the the broncos super bowl odds were kind of artificially inflated kind of under the assumption that they would make a move for a quarterback i think most people thought it was going to be aaron Rodgers, but hey it's russell wilson could be worse as far as the compensation there again it's a absolutely loaded skill group and now Noah Fant is out of the picture. So it's a little bit less muddy at the tight end spot, you know, Alberto Quay Boonham. I think a lot of people are expecting a lot of helium from him. We'll, we'll get to him in a second, but obviously you still have Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, uh, running a uh, stacked running back room with, with KJ Hamler, KJ Hamler. Yeah, that's right. Didn't mean to, to leave him off there and, and Javante Williams. So, I mean, it, there's a lot, of pieces there. And we know the defense was good last year, even with the the offense kind of scuffling to the point where it put the defense in in tough spots here and there. Now we, now we kind of have the the runway clear as far as Denver being able to, to get the full use out of these skill guys. And that, that of course is of particular interest to us for fancy. Yeah. I'm a little concerned about Jerry Judy just because he is very good in that part of the field where Russell Wilson really isn't very good. Uh, I do think Jerry Judy can line up outside, though. I, I don't worry about him against outside corners or anything. And so he might be fine there because the further away from the middle of the field you get Wilson, uh, assuming you're not just throwing far downfield, you'd want to get him toward the sideline, get him, get him away from the middle of the field. And I think Judy can definitely do that, you know, like Deontay Johnson kind of thing, playing outside receivers, like even if he's not running past the corner on fly routes. He can be really tough, especially if he's not getting uh, the number one corner on the uh, opposing team, Cortland Sutton projects very well. And I guess Hamler would, or he does on a per snap basis. I don't, I don't think we can expect him to play more than like 500 snaps though. Um, especially with Patrick there. Uh, but Cortland Sutton, I, I think especially stands to benefit. It's easy enough to make the, you know, the DK Metcalf comparison with him. Uh, he's not that kind of burner, but he might be better at just kind of wide receiver stuff. Like he might be a little better at, uh, doing the boxing out rebound drill kind of thing on the sideline. Um, so yeah, he's not going to just run past everybody the way Metcalf did sometimes, but I could see Sutton having, uh, you know, better year even than his breakout season a couple of years ago, I guess. Yeah. So that this really set, sets up nicely for him. That's an interesting point on, on Judy. Yeah. I mean, he was, ba- he barely played on the outside last year, 337 um, snaps out of the slot as opposed to just 63 um, on the outside, and his A dot, as you would imagine, suffered a, a pretty significant bit. It was 13.8 as a rookie. I, I don't know if that's necessarily optimal way of using him, but I also don't think that that those are kind of like uh, Calvin Ridley. Not to you know bring up a, a <laughs> bummer subject, but I remember like Calvin Ridley having pretty much the same frame and having that sort of like 13 plus depth of target that uh, which is not typical of guys with with the uh, with their relatively modest speed. And, and the reason it works is because they're such good route runners that they can just 
you know, dice up guys when they when they have time to run 10 plus yards, they can just kind of, you know, be impossible to cover after a certain amount of time. So I do think Judy can play that, but I, I don't think he can play the Tyler Lockett role, which is very specifically like running posts, like seam stretching routes. Uh, Lockett's a 4-4 flat guy, if I remember right, and Judy's whatever, the 4-4, 6-4-4-8 four, 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 or whatever, um, and, and at about the same weight, if I remember. I guess he's a little heavier, but uh, in any case, Lockett was always, even at Kansas State, really good at threatening downfield, and, and Judy, um, he might be able to do it, but he's like a little less speedy. He's, he's a little less able to just dart through a gap in a defense, and he's too skinny to be like taking hits. So if, if, if anybody's getting, getting a finger on him, uh, he might get lit up. I almost wonder if they'd be better off having Albert Uquegbenum running the uh, Tyler Lockett routes uh, just because he's actually faster than uh, probably about as fast as Judy at, uh, you know, 65 pounds heavier Mm -hmm. and at six foot five, he could do basically Mark Andrews stuff and, and just be like a little less skilled as a receiver, but a lot faster. And uh, that could be pretty explosive, him doing, you know, 15-yard post routes, uh, hitting top speed, being as big as he is, running at some safety, who, uh, you know, what, what are they going to do, flat-footed in that situation? No, exactly. So the, there's obviously going to be a, a big bump as far as Akwe Boonham's uh, ADP. I'm kind of at the point where I'm going to pay the new price, and I, I don't really mm-hmm. care. I'm pretty intrigued. I mean, I've considered myself an Albert Equagwinum truther all this time, so uh, I'm almost surprised that I'm not more, you know, excited about this. But I think it's because I went straight to the uh, I'm afraid, the you know, the paranoid like jinxing phase of, of things when it looks like something good that you want is actually might happen, and you're like, well, how could that be? Like nothing good ever happens. <laughs> no way. Why, why would I let myself get my hopes up about this? Um, but in theory. It should work very well. Like, there's reason to believe Albert Equagbenum is just good on his own part, and there's reason to believe that, again, those locket routes they they might mostly go to him because he's their best means of stretching the field out of their base formation. If KJ Hamler's on the bench, Albert Equagbenum is their best big play threat down the field, which is crazy, but uh, it's true. There you go. So so excited to see where, where this develops and and you know how the market reacts to him. Uh, what, one last thing on, on the other side of that. With Noah Fant, are you pretty much out in redraft? We'll see about the price. I mean, we'll see about the price with Alberto, too. I mean, if he's going in like, God, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where he's going to go up to. Like, if he's going in the ninth round, eighth round, I, I'll probably dive in at that point. But if he's going like fifth, maybe not. Uh, Fant, he's going to have to be cheaper. He's going to have to be like, you know, 12th round kind of thing, but I think he's like where like Higby goes or something like that, or yeah. And if he's cheap enough and especially if, if it's PPR and we, we don't care so much that he's on a team that won't throw any touchdowns, then especially he could be kind of interesting because they're going to probably have a bunch of garbage time too. You know, like he could catch a lot of passes, even if it's just kind of like they're getting, you know, their asses beat every day. Yeah. And specifically like if, if one of Metcalf or Lockett is on the move too, that that would theoretically open. Particularly up then, yeah. Targets. And in the meantime, I think Fant's their only like middle of the field underneath guy as it is because Lockett. I mean, he's a small slot type receiver, but he's a downfield player fundamentally. You know, it's like DK Metcalf can do some intermediate stuff too, but Fant might be the guy who gets all the checkdowns and things like that. 
Yep. So, um, yeah, this could, yeah, if the ADP settles in the right spot, then fan could certainly uh, be that PPR value, especially if you don't go for it for one of those, you know, top end tight ends with your roster build. Um, let's go over to Green Bay. There's, there's not a ton to unpack there. It's just a more confirmation that we're going to have a little bit more of the same. We're going to we're going to run it back. Once again, with, with Rodgers and, and Devontae Adams. Last dance again. Yeah. <laughs> Last dance part two. Um, so, I don't know. Your, your, your thoughts there? Are you, are you surprised that, that Rodgers ended back up I am surprised. I mean, it sounded like things were turning for the worse out of there. Like, it sounded like Rodgers and Devontae Adams were maybe conspiring to set contract demands that they knew the Packers couldn't meet. But uh, maybe they tried and the Packers were just I don't know if that 50 million thing is nonsense. I I didn't follow up on that one. Don't really care that much. Um, But yeah, maybe the Packers actually were just like, oh, we can meet that price, whatever price they named. And Rodgers just kind of had to go, oh, uh, okay. well, okay, I guess I'll stay here then. Um, Even if he had a a whole, you know, parachute to Denver thing lined up, uh, maybe he had to just wave it off when uh, the Packers offered him the number. So, uh, yeah, everything should stay the same there. Don't know what would change. Uh, I don't either. Uh, I guess, you know, with, with with the Adams return, not that if Adams left that there would have been like a, a ton of helium for, for your, you know, MBS or your Lazard types. But um, any any of that pent-up hope, I suppose, goes away. Because I, I, I just – I think the Packers play the, the style that they're going to play as long as Rodgers and Adams are there. Yeah, uh, Alan Lazard is a restricted free agent. I assume they're going to put a second round tender on him. Even he's an undrafted guy, so if they do the original round, they'll just lose him uh, if they don't match the price or whatever. Um, Valdez Scantling, I think, is an unrestricted free agent, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if this these new expenses keep Green Bay from bringing them both back, or if they decide to just go with one. But they should be careful if they do let Valdez Scantling walk. They should be careful about you know, getting some more speed on the field because uh, he's he's kind of inconsistent, obviously, and one-dimensional, but the safeties do have to pay attention to him when he's on the field. Well, if, if there's one thing we know about this Green Bay Packers regime, it's they will always try to go get weapons to, to please Aaron Rodgers through the draft. <laughs> yes, yeah, so starting, starting in the late third, we'll yeah. consider it. Yeah, who's this year's Josiah DeGuara? Many are oh my God, that was such a, <laughs> that that pick and the Jay Sternberger picks were almost better reasons for uh, Rodgers to throw a fit than the Jordan Love thing. And the Jordan Love thing was insanely stupid, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, reaching new levels there. Um, but they took but, Jay Sternberger over Terry McLaurin and Deguara over who knows what somebody so who isn't people. a fullback. Uh, <laughs> anyway, a uh, little bit, a little bit, uh, ma- making it harder than it needed. To be uh, before we jump on over to our co- combine reactions, and we're going to get into a bit of uh, our staff rookie mock, our, our mock 2.0. We we got through the first one in February before the combine. Of course, uh, we're into the beginning of the third round of the rookie draft just now, so we'll get to that in a second here. But first, word from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And a message from our friends over at WinBet. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states. That's Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today, make a qualifying deposit and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by state. Download WinBet now. It's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. So, Let's break things down. A lot of things happened in Indianapolis last week. We we had a, a group of receivers that I think exceeded the the already lofty expectations. There, there were a couple guys that that lagged behind. I think the consensus going in was, you know, Drake London or Traylon Burks was some iteration of, of one, two in, in most people's rankings. London, of course, was unable to, to go through the workouts, still getting back to 100% from his season ending ankle injury and, and Traylon Burks, I thought he was fine. Yeah. But I think a lot of people 
were kind of under the assumption that he was going to crush it. And I, I mean, we talked about it. Like it, it certainly seemed possible given the film, given the explosive production It's like, Oh yeah. Now if he, if he does, you know, the top end of what we think he can do, then, you know, he, he really stamps down that, that number one spot among receivers. But now I think it becomes a much more open discussion after, after him, you know, just kind of going replacement level-ish, or I don't know if I'm using the right word or phrase there to, to describe his performance. Um, but And then London, of course, uh, standing put for the time being while all these other guys kind of ascended with, with incredible workouts one way or the other. So so where do you want to start? Do you still have some version of, of London Burks as your one, two? And, and, you know, where does it go from there after seeing how everyone worked out in Indy? So... I had Traylon Burks ranked uh, kind of as just kind of like the default, just because everything's so preliminary back before the combine. I I don't even bother thinking about it too much beyond whatever I think about the production and, you know, the, the rumored workout metrics, the stated height weights, whatever. Uh, so with Burks, part of the calculus all along was there were these rumors about him running like, you know, a low 4-4, a high 4-3, something like that. And when you take that profile, that prospect profile, along with the production that he had at Arkansas, it very specifically comes out to an A.J. Brown kind of comparison. Now, that's off the table at this point. You know, he's he could still be plenty fast. He could still reach, you know, he could still do better in the GPS speed test than the 40-yard dash. I don't know. There's, there's that possibility, too. Um, but the possibility of him being a potential A.J. Brown is off the table, and now you're you still have a totally good player profile but you don't have such reason to expect a top range outcome so um for me what basically happened with the combine was i went in having a top tier at receiver a tier one of Traylon burks drake london and jameson williams now i'm just saying that tier one is gone and like it's it's been eaten or uh, it's been absorbed by tier two and now that's just one big ambiguous top tier now with uh burks and london still toward the top of it along with jameson williams but without any implied safety from that group of competition right because you know guys like that both garrett wilson and chris olave but both did extremely well for themselves running the sub four fours uh, you know, among the the kind of sleepers that that did well for themselves, I, I don't know if the, this vaults him into into your first tier, but it, I'm certain it puts him on your radar. But what do we make of, of Christian Watson um, now out, out of North Dakota State? I mean, a guy who's six four, two oh eight, had the best broad jump of any receiver at the combine, runs a four three six at that size. I mean, that, those are some pretty you know freaky tools to be working with. Yeah, he seems good. Uh, the one thing about him is, well, I guess there's a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, obviously, the the workout numbers are very good. However, his production at North Dakota State was not great. It was good, but he was basically just a, a downfield specialist guy, and I I don't think he took up like a all that much of a share of their yardage. Even like there was some other player who was pretty good for them, and Watson didn't like blow him away. And he was pretty much always doing that 20 yards a catch kind of thing. Like, I don't know if they really had him doing much more than chasing bombs downfield in an otherwise run-heavy offense. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is he's pretty skinny. So it's it's good to have those numbers, obviously. But if he, so if he's like 6'4", 220 instead of 6'4", 208 or whatever, maybe that's 
a four four seven forty instead of a four three seven or whatever. And I so so if his selling point is his speed, he's probably not going to add that weight. If he's not going to add that weight, he's always going to be kind of skinny, and that's that's just probably going to limit some of the things that he does. Um, make him more of like a deep ball or bust kind of player in the NFL and not necessarily like one that's so great in traffic. You might need to kind of just run past people to make his big plays. And we can, we can expect him to do that. We can expect him to run past these corners every so often, but he might not be able to do much else. And so he might, might never be like a volume receiver, you know, like Drake London came in at six, four, two nineteen, I think. And even him, that's a, that's a little bit of a skinny side of a build at six, four. So Watson's quite a bit lighter yet. Uh, he needs that speed. Like if if it's good that he has it, but if he didn't have it, he'd be in trouble. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's an interesting point you're making re- regarding, you know, like you, I think he's like a better scaling. Okay, all right. That that I mean that that's a, a viable comp. And if the, if there's more to his game that, than what MVS has, um, then you know that that's certainly totally interesting. Easy, and he he can. Get it, he can get himself off the ground too. I mean, both of those jumps were, were elite yeah. uh, relative to, to this class. I mean, and, and when you're already six four and, you, and you're up that high, like you, you know, you're going to be tough to stop in the red zone, at least in theory. So he went. Let's see here. He went fairly early in our rookie draft. He went with the second pick of the of the second round. He was the seventh. Uh, receiver off the board and before we I'm gonna gonna have to put this computer down a second my dog got herself stuck in the window and I gotta pick her down here Uh, okay all right well while while Mario dons his his fireman apparel to uh, help out Dulce uh, the dog I will continue to recap our rookie draft so leading things off same as the first time around Joe Bartle took with the first overall pick Brees Hall Malik Willis went second off the board, so that, that's a bit of a change in tune from where our first mock went. Drake London was next at three, and then I took Garrett Wilson at four, so the second receiver off the board. You back, Mario? Yeah. yeah. I am, uh, the dog's out of the window ledge, and I'm back in my beanbag chair. Phenomenal. Ready, ready okay. to be professional again. So I, I was just breaking down the, the first couple of picks uh, from, from the rookie draft. And I guess the, the notable one that I, I wanted to, to pick your brain on was, was in the first one, first one of these back in February, I took Traylon Burks as uh, the, the first receiver off the board and w- one of the first picks um, overall. I took him second overall. In fact, this time I had the fourth pick and I took Garrett Wilson over Traylon Burks. So a- any thoughts on, on where you would have Wilson relative to, to Burks now a- after the uh, last week? Yeah, so with that first tier that I had, you know, basically dissolving, uh, a guy like Wilson is among the group who who stands to benefit from that. Like I had him and Chris Olave and uh, I don't know, maybe Dotson. I can't remember. Dotson, like Pickens. Ross and some those guys all in the second tier. Um, so this this moves up Wilson into that group where um, you know I, I don't really have a specific order in mind personally but because he's in that tier he's basically like a defensible first pick among the receivers just because it's it's it might be one of those years where uh you know the first the, the best one isn't that much better than the sixth best one and whatever way it turns like there's we're not going to be able to foresee it like there's we can't know enough 
about what these guys are going to be getting into in the next couple of years to, to know how it's going to shake out. So um, it, it makes sense to take a lot of them first overall and him included, I think. Yeah, I thought so as well. I mean, Wilson resetting on, on his numbers. So, I mean, at six, six foot or just a hair under 183. So, so not a, not a big frame for him, uh, but runs a four, three, eight, uh, kind of, are unimpressive in the shuttle. Most receivers opted just simply not to, and then kind yeah, of it's average. It's a screwed up category now. It's it's like you can't look at it. Yeah, pretty pretty much. I mean, most people are just kind of eschewing the, those agility drills among the receivers. I was disappointed. I was entering in our combine data, and you can check out the combine data at uh, rotowire.com/slash/football. And if you go to stats, you can pull up the NFL combine and draft stats and pro day stats. I'm sorry. You can check all that out. We have data going all the way back to 2005. So if you find a player with, with, you know, a frame of of a certain type, you can filter it in there, see other historical examples and and kind of pinpoint or maybe just kind of put a ballpark on where exactly you, you might be able to expect this guy to translate at the next level. It's not, not the cleanest. Of course, there's obviously more that goes into it, but can at least get a little bit granular as far as workout metrics, frame, uh, that type of thing. So, so do check that out. Rotowire.com slash football slash draft dash workout. Um, check that out. But yeah. Do, uh, when I was entering the offensive lineman, my main point, uh, not, not enough of them were benched. What's up? Oh, Hmm. I need the yeah. big boys to be chucking lead around. <laughs> yeah, uh, they. they um, I guess I can't. I can't make some of the references that I want to right now. Um, but they have. They have become too soft and and uh, finesse, uh, French like whatever they yep. they would say. Um, but yeah, that's actually. It seems like it's a really good class. I still expect that uh, North Carolina State one to go first overall, even though Hutchinson, even though they franchise tagged Cam Robinson. Um, guess we'll see how that all goes. Uh, good group, I think, to be serious, even though they are they are soft and uh, lack resolve. Yes. So, but in character, but, probably <laughs> even more so. That I mean, the 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 bench truly just does measure character. Uh, you know, it's all about your chest. Um, but no, I mean, yeah. When it comes to the Jaguars, what's the problem with having two extremely good tackles? I mean, I wouldn't say that Cam Robinson's extremely good, but. Yeah, um, I guess the other thing is I forgot what the hell is going on with Juwan Taylor. Is he at guard now? I guess I, I totally forgot. I know they have Walker Little. Um, anyway, uh, I'm sure they'll blow it, whoever they take. <laughs> the, the Jags. Whoever right. they take is the wrong answer. That's how we That's how we know what the right answer is. Oh, get, like getting the get. – anyway, I, I digress. Um, so let's get into – I guess a couple other receivers that that were not in your first tier, not maybe not even in your first tier, two tiers uh, that you thought did well last week, and may, maybe one got one or two guys that that fell as a result of last week. I, I'm sure David Bell uh, fits that uh, mold, unfortunately. Yeah. So going into the combine, what I said about this receiver class, and this turned out to be already wrong, I think, was that. It was really strong at the top, but didn't have much depth. And I think not only did the top not turn out to be as strong as we had hoped, uh, it's still fine, but it's, it's just there's there's no one that you're going to confuse for one of the top guys of the last two drafts, basically. Right. Um, 
it's improved its depth quite a bit though. And uh, not to say that it's all like role player guys, not to, it's not just uh, part-time guys, more part-time receivers stepping up. Um, there's players like, um, I guess he was conventionally expected to do pretty well, but Sky Moore from Western Michigan, it's like he's, 5'10", 195, has the 4'4", super productive at Western Michigan. Um, the one year he took a backseat to D. Eskridge, D. Eskridge was already like 24 years old. So it's like, especially with Sky Moore being a true sophomore at the time, like there's nothing wrong with that. And then also uh, he was pretty much holding serve along with uh, Jaden Reed or whatever that Michigan State receiver's name is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to be an NFL receiver. So more held up. And, and maybe even set the standard of production next to two other NFL receivers had that four, four, one. So that moves him into, I think like viable top 40 pick range. Uh, Cause he's, he's big. He was productive. He's fast. There's not really much more to think about in my opinion. Um, the other one, and this one is a little more surprising, or at least to me, uh, Khalil Shakir from Boise state had a really good combine. Uh, he's still skinny. He's not like a great athlete or anything, but he did show he's a good athlete. And that was not a given uh, sometimes those small school guys, uh, they have great numbers, especially slot type receivers, which Shakir was largely a slot receiver at Boise State. Sometimes they put up huge numbers and they still don't really do anything in the NFL because they're just kind of like too skinny and slow. And Shakir showed that that's not going to be his story. He's ran the four four three at 196. So that basically gives him the same kind of height, weight, athleticism traits as someone like Robert Woods, who incidentally, his game looks a lot like and yeah, his production at Boise State was just awesome. So now that he is totally good, you know, workout, totally satisfactory, I guess I should say, workout numbers to go with it, I see absolutely no reason to, th- to think that Shakir isn't a good starting receiver in the NFL. And uh, that's I, – I thought it was possible before, but I, I didn't think it was anything more than that. Now I think it's likely. Yeah, I, did, I saw your tweet uh, shortly before we jumped on here where, where you know, that there's cases to be made for him be, being, like you said – a top 40 pick at the very least. And yeah, the production was pretty automatic from the time he was a sophomore onward would have had 2000 yard seasons. If not for the, the COVID shortened uh, 2020 season where Boise state played just seven games, but he was going well over a hundred yards per game that season as well. And then obviously went, went over a thousand yards this past year. Yeah. So the production's never been a problem and it was good for him to, to kind of uh, stamp that athleticism there in Indianapolis. Well, yeah, so, oh, sorry. I was just going to say so, some guys in the actual mid rounds who stepped up, I guess would be uh, Melton from Rutgers, who guy. I believe is looking for Rutgers guys. Four, three, four. Um, <laughs> I mean, his, his production doesn't look that good no. because it was in the Rutgers offense. And when you, mm-hmm. when you adjust or when you, when you weigh his, uh, his, his production against the fact that he was playing in that, uh, that offense where they completed like 48% of their passes for 4.5 yards per pass, that will never happen again. There will never be a passing offense that bad ever again. The the world will blow up before it can happen again. And Melton had to play with that nonsense. Uh, so yeah, the 4-3-4 was really good for him. Velas Jones, I don't think is anything more than like a, uh, a field stretching mid volume kind of receiver, but a four three one forty at over 200, 200 pounds, and he was pretty pretty good at Tennessee this last year. So I don't think he'll ever be like a target monster, but he is now in that like round three four conversation where I didn't have him previously. Yeah, I think he torched Georgia. I think he had like two hundred yards against Georgia. 
Yeah, so he he's weird because he basically couldn't get on the field or maybe he kept getting hurt, I don't know, at USC. And then he went to Tennessee and still didn't even really play that much. Like he was he was basically a backup to Josh Palmer, at least in the rotation for targets he was. Um, so, yeah, but having the 4-3-1 speed, it's like, on the one hand, you would say in a guy, a case like his, a guy who doesn't really break out until late with a huge age advantage, you would say he's not very skilled at playing receiver. Like receiver tasks don't come naturally to him the way it does Khalil Shakir. But when you are four three one fast over 200 pounds, you can be less skilled than the next guy, you know, with the same amount of skill as you, but only running the four, four. So uh, he's, he's got that ability to make the safeties pay attention and that could get him snaps. Even if he'll never be more than like an 80 target receiver or whatever. Right. But, but at least, you know, like you said, now he he's very much in the discussion because those were legitimate marks against him the, the way that he did yeah, yeah. Much at USC the, the way that you know 2020 didn't go great his first year at Tennessee but Tennessee really just a, a super reinvigorated offense this past year under Josh Heupel a lot more up-tempo um, really one of the better offenses in the SEC and he was a huge um, reason why so for him to test as well as he did um, yeah definitely arrow trending upwards um, your thoughts on Alec Pierce. I went ahead and scooped him uh, in the second round, uh, the fourth pick of, of the second round, wide receiver nine. So right, right before him, Sky Moore, Christian Watson, George Pickens. And then I went ahead and, and grabbed Alec Pierce, the, the 6'3 receiver out of Cincinnati, ran a 4'4'1, had a 40 and a half inch vertical and a 129 inch broad jump as well at the combine. Yeah, he's pretty interesting, and he was in that sort of like mid-round conversation before, but we didn't know for sure how well he was going to test, and uh, we couldn't really take for granted that he would be a mid-round option. But with a four-four-one, the forty-inch vertical uh, at six-three-two-eleven, and uh, definitely also relevant, he had totally good production at Cincinnati for the past three years. Uh, that's definitely the profile of a player that I think you can justify a day to pick on. And he ends up for me in that same genre. I guess he's just kind of like a better version of the same genre of prospect that Velas Jones is because like Velas Jones, Alec Pierce probably won't be a high, a high target volume receiver. Like he's probably going to be a downfield oriented player who makes, you know, if he, he'll be like efficient with his production, like, if he's only an 80 target player, he might get you 800 yards every time. Um, but I don't know if he's going to be able to go up to like 120 targets without seeing his efficiency fall off. Uh, basically because to juice that target count, you're just going to have to throw different types of passes to him. Like you've already maxed out his, you know, play action post fly route bombs. You, there's only so many of those you can set up in an offense and to get his target count over 80 or whatever, he's going to start ma- needing to make some five yard slants things like that. And I don't know if he'll ever make those plays, but it's possible. Uh, like it, some of his limited volume might've been like at the structure of the Cincinnati offense. It was very run heavy and um, yeah. it wasn't really trying to drive up his target count that much. Um, and having the four, four, one speed is, is definitely encouraging too. So um, if a team is, is prepared to kind of like not put too much on him, I think he could be effective right away uh, in like a, you know, 400, 500 snap kind of role. So uh, just, just filtering, uh, use the, the tools again on, on uh, the Rotowire uh, site to, to look at the historical comparisons, you know, uh, of guys that 
receivers that are 6'3 in between 210 and 215. Uh, Pierce does have the best 40 of the guys that, that actually put down 40s. Uh, a couple of interesting names here, so, some old uh, college football greats, you, you know, Kiaris Garrett and, and, and Robert Davis, of course. But uh, if you look a little further down, you do have guys like Brian Edwards um, and Eric Decker of, of a similar type of, of build at, at the very least. Yeah, Decker was a target monster in college, but Pierce probably has um... – Sorry, who's who's the second one right before Decker? Uh, Brian Edwards. Yeah, so he's definitely faster than Edwards. So he should, uh, like, for instance, if he was playing in that Brian Edwards role last year, he would have done more with it because unlike Edwards, Pierce is actually fast enough to run 15 yards downfield on his routes. Um, so, yeah, that's if that's the kind of uh, range that he's coming out to, I guess you, you could imagine ways that he could be, uh, you know, in certain roles productive even as a rookie. Yep. So I'm hopeful. Obviously, it, it was kind of a, a, a strange uh, sticking point. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go receiver there or if I wanted to, to dip into the receiver into the running back pool further. But I, I opted not to. I think I'll circle back and, and uh, get some more running backs um, here a little bit later on. And, and speaking of the, the running backs have been pushed up in result of uh, the combine, Brees Hall, like I said, unsurprisingly cemented himself as the RB one, and you know I think that- I was a little surprised, man. He's he's got like everything. I mean, he's not huge. That's the only thing. If he was over two hundred and twenty pounds, I'd be like, dang, he's almost like, you know, getting into that Jonathan Taylor kind of territory. But uh, instead, he is merely, I think, you know, projecting as like a safe top eight NFL running back. Yeah, uh, I, I meant on. Um- he did test better than, than I think both, both of us were expecting. I, I just I wasn't surprised that he left Indianapolis oh, yeah, as, yeah. as the RB1. Um, yeah. But, yeah, really good numbers for, from him at the Combine. And then we'll take a look at, let's see here, Kenneth Walker uh, kind of seeming to settle in as the RB2 officially. I, th- I think both of us were, were a little bit curious to see what, what the actual long speed looked like relative to, you know, his his – you know, future NFL peers, but he runs the sub four, four. That was better than, than I expected by a pretty decent so, margin. I got to say though, the running back times I think are all wrong. And ah. specifically they lowered all of them. You know how they, they changed the receiver ones. Alec Pierce, they didn't change until like 3 AM from a four, three, three to a four, four, one. Um, so they screwed up the forties with the receivers and the tight ends. And then during the running back day, before they said it was a four three eight, every single team, every single player, I think at running back had it at least like point oh two and some point one. More generally, you would see like point one uh, improvement to their times. And in Kenneth Walker's case, it was originally reported as a four four six. So instead of having the unofficial time adjusted to a higher time, which is how it happened with receivers and literally every other scenario of the combine history that I can remember, they said here are the official, the unofficial times. And then the official ones were all way faster and, and just very fast in general. Like this is one of the fastest running back classes ever you would have to conclude based on the combine, but it definitely isn't like, it's just, there's a bunch of the, like Brian Robinson had like a four, six, five or something. And then it says five, four, two now, or sorry, four, five, two. Now uh, Kyron Williams went from a four, seven, two to a four, six, five. These guys are not as fast as their 40 times. And that includes Brees Hall who went like from a four, four, uh, six, four, 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 I think um to a four three nine or whatever it was like the four 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 is already very good um in the walker case the four four six would be 
uh, a magnet, you know, a rung lower than a four three eight. There's a meaningful difference there, and he's two hundred eleven pounds, not two hundred and seventeen or whatever Hall was. Uh, so for me, Kenneth Walker, he could totally have some good NFL seasons in him, and I, I think he's clearly the running back too in this rather weak class. Uh, but for me, the comparison for him is someone like Julius Jones or somebody like that that we basically won't remember in ten years, you know, but might have uh, enough juice to have some big games. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I do remember uh, Jul- Julius Jones, brother of Thomas Jones. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Look at that. Pretty good. Um, elsewhere, um, s- sticking on, on Rutgers, Isaiah Pacheco, they're, they're <laughs> running back. Best fo- tied for the best 40 uh, in this class at, at his position. And then uh, someone who I'm going to have to think very strongly about here with, with my next pick after Jeff Erickson makes his. Pierre Strong out of, yeah. out of South Dakota State because, you know, the production pretty insane for him. A four-year player at South Dakota State had, had a bad junior year. I haven't looked into why exactly really bad relative to his other seasons, but bounced back really strong as a senior. I think he averaged over seven yards a carrier just at it for his entire career. So that that's impressive when he didn't have like insane, insane volume, but certainly enough to where – keeping and sustaining that seven yards per carry number and scoring tons of touchdowns on top of it. And then running the four, three, seven, you're like, okay, all right. I, I think that there's something real here. Yeah. Particularly in this rather weak running back class uh, where the mid rounds are just entirely up for grabs. Like no one knows what, what these like running backs three through eight, good luck guessing who they are. Um, I think strong could be that third running back. He could be the second running back off the board. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what teams need to see from him for that to happen. But you know, four three seven at two oh seven. I think it was two oh seven that he weighed in at. That's it, also also he he had one of the the uh, lowest adjustments to his time. So he he's listed at a four three seven, and it's probably not right. But his original was only a four three nine. So he had tied for the fastest time, and also had the least help getting to that number in the adjusted mm. in the adjustments. So at worst, he's a four, three, nine at, at two Oh seven. Elijah Mitchell ran a four, three, five at the Lafayette pro day last year at like one ninety eight or one ninety five or something. And that might already be more like a four, four flat if it's on the combine track. Uh, so if Elijah Mitchell is 200 pounds, whatever, four, four flat, then Pierre Strong with a four three nine at two oh seven is basically in that same category of athlete. So he was otherwise productive at South Dakota State. Uh, you know, sometimes there's things that don't show up between those two considerations. But as far as they go, he's got a totally clean profile. Yep, uh, I'm into it. So uh, uh, if Jeff isn't watching, hopefully, maybe he'll catch the, the you know the the recorded version later on, but I think I've just talked myself into uh, scooping him with, with my next pick potentially. What'd you think of Zamir White? Yeah, I thought that he, he exceeded my expectations. I, I was expecting a, a, you know, somewhere in the four fives for the 40 and, and didn't see like the, the impressive jumps coming either. Yeah. I don't really believe his 40 time, but he's pretty well built and his production is convincing as a runner. I guess with him, a guy like him, I kind of worry that he's basically just like a Chris Ivory kind of player, like a guy who's pretty explosive, pretty well built and, you know, runs really hard, 
is really tough to tackle, runs over people, stuff like that, but ultimately kind of like wears himself out doing it and, and doesn't have necessarily like a diversified skill set. We'll yeah, his, he, his type is kind of getting extinct a little bit. Yeah, uh, he, he did better and he, he, he's grading better for me than I expected to grade him. But uh, and so he's he's basically a better depth option at the least than I gave him credit for. And then it's worth keeping in mind because, if you know, if he if he goes to some team in the fourth round and their starter gets hurt, he could easily be productive. I mean, it's it's guessing the opportunity that's difficult with these guys, because there's even in this relatively weak class, there's probably like eight, ten running backs. We could say, like, you know, he'd have a shot if, if somebody gave him the ball, he'd have a shot. Um, so. He's he's in that group, even though he's not at like the top of my list exactly. I am higher on Pacheco, who he surprised me quite a bit. I did not expect to like him, but with testing like that and the fact that he's uh, you know a pretty high motor guy with a, I think he has a good pass catching background there. Uh, not as good as uh, Blackshear or whatever his name was, but but still pretty good. Um, so yeah, Pacheco could could get surprisingly high in my rankings just because his brutal rushing averages were pretty clearly just the result of the Rutgers offense. Like he's playing in those 47% completed four and a half yards per pass offense, which is like, it, it it's, it's like a crime that that Rutgers offense existed, you know? And, and you know, like it, it obviously playing in arguably the, the hardest division in college football, like that, that that's a brutal draw for Rutgers, but like, I'm not sure that they're lighting up the Mac. You know? Yeah, like he he had no chance playing on that team. So uh, he's got the motor, he's got the athleticism. That's sometimes all you need to to get in that conversation of like viable NFL running back. Uh, it's it's definitely within his range of outcomes. I think. Yeah, so he he's definitely in the interesting pile now after last week. And then I, I want to end it on two guys who. I'm kind of worried are, are more workout warrior than, uh, you know, totally viable uh, NFL options. But set the record on um, Austin, Calvin Austin out of Memphis and Tyquan Thornton out of Baylor. Believe it or not, I'm almost a little more interested in Thornton because he was one of those guys who kind of caught my attention for playing early at Baylor. Like, I think he broke out as a his true sophomore year yep. um he was he was kind of like he, he was almost not like a 1b but he was pretty close to the standard of play that Denzel Mims was setting at the time um but yeah I had no idea how fast he was supposed to be uh, it was initially reported as a 421 which would have broke John Ross's 422 obviously um got adjusted to a 428 he's very skinny and he has small hands so I don't know what you can do with him exactly. Like he's probably not a high target volume player, but if you have something like that Marquez Valdez Scantling role, I know I keep bringing him up, but it's like if you need someone to play like 600 snaps and pretty much just run posts and fly routes, and you don't care that he can't make tough catches over the middle, it's hard to see what Thornton where Thornton falls short for you. Like he he really is that fast. He really does get open quite a bit. He really does catch the ball, even though he has small hands. It's just we don't think he's going to hold up if he takes a hit when he's trying to make that catch, you know. So that's a limitation there. Uh, but I do like Thornton. Calvin Austin, I'm lower on, uh, both because he's like 5'8", 170. And by the way, at the Senior Bowl, he measured in at 5'7", 173. So I don't know if he got taller or the combine. I don't know if now if with the combine we have to worry about them getting heights wrong in addition to 40 times. Uh, <laughs> so whatever it is, it's it's kind of obnoxious. 
if 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 Calvin Austin is still growing at 23 years old, that's obnoxious. Uh, <laughs> knock it off. Um, but uh, his production was not as clean as Tyquan Thornton's. Like Tyquan Thornton was always above the Baylor baseline. Like whatever the yards per target was with him was always higher than like the yards per attempt, and he was clearly lifting the team baseline. Calvin Austin, I don't think, had an above baseline season with Memphis until this most recent season, and he was very good. Uh, but when you're that small and you're basically taking until your fifth year to start producing at a plus level, uh, that's concerning for me, even if you are very fast, which he is. So um, maybe he's better than Jakeem Grant, but barely so, in my opinion, if so. And I'm not taking that for granted either. No. So, yeah, it's a, the the size is just going to be something that in it like limits him to being like a, a – a strong wide receiver for in a, in a given offense and, and, you know, someone who can make big plays, but I, I don't think that you can count on him reliably. Like it, he'll never come close to seeing, and, and you know, r- rarely do NFL players get it, get a 30% target share, but like he, you know, if he's getting 10%, I feel yeah, like I would guess he'll be one of those guys who gets targeted heavily on his snaps. And, and when people are trying to find their next breakout player, they'll be like, look at his target rate. And it'll basically be because, they're putting him out there with scripted plays because they know he can't block and he will never play more snaps than whatever it was that he just played. And he'll never break out the way people say, like, if you just scale his, his target rate over a thousand snaps, it's like, well, that'll never happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So important, important note there on, on target rates and ex- the extrapolation thereof. Uh, Johannes has a question for us and she must have been listening throughout these last couple of weeks. Thoughts on Kevin Harris? I swear that that is not my alt account on YouTube. <laughs> John making burners to ask himself questions. <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah, um, I did not. I literally didn't even notice Kevin Harris, and I'm embarrassed about that uh, until John mentioned it. And that's even with Kevin Harris having the season uh, two years ago that I or wait, was it three? Two he had that ago. one. Yeah, that one season with uh, over a thousand yards and a really high rushing average, and you know, being 220 pounds, that's very specifically like my whole type of running back right there, you know, like high rushing average, uh, two twenty plus, uh, not that they truly need to, but like, that's, that's the prototype for me. Uh, so I'm surprised that I missed him because normally when I look at a box score like that for a sophomore running back, I'm like, Oh, I got to keep an eye on this guy. I somehow never learned of him (laughs) until you mentioned it like three days ago, John. Um, but yeah, I like Harris. He's right there in that like running back three conversation for me, even though no one's talking about him, even like in the first six rounds, uh, he he's over 220 and he had the good jumps at the combine. Didn't do a 40 for whatever reason. Um, he doesn't need to do a great 40 if he's 220 and he's got good jumps uh, and he's producing the way he did at South Carolina. I know he had that one bad year this year, um, but he was dealing with injuries and it seemed like there were a bunch of games too, where it's just kind of like they got rocked and that yeah. contaminated a small sample and then by the end of the year, being more healthy, at least in that last game there, he got hot again and basically started put, putting up the same numbers that he did in that big season two years ago. So um, I'm, I try to think of things like, well, if this guy just had another season like the one two years ago, what would we think about him then? And the answer with Harris is we'd conclude he's probably quite good. And a season like that would have been totally possible if he played another year there. So um, Harris is there's like a wide range of outcomes with him, but I, I think the upside is a lot higher than what's getting acknowledged right now. Yeah, exactly. Like it, I think 
you know, if you were to flip those two seasons and, and he did what, what he did this year in, in 20, uh, or in 2020, what he, uh, this year, then he would He'd be running back three after Kenneth Walker or something like that. And ahead of Spiller. There's so much to, to be said for just like how kind of wide open this one is, or that this running back group is after Brees Hall. Really, There's a lot of specialists him. too. It's like, it's not just James Cook's like, I think uh, Trist, Tristan Ebner could be a totally surprising pass catcher in the NFL. Like he basically was a receiver that Baylor made play running back. And in the NFL, it's a lot easier to get a guy like him going, you know, with an Eckler kind of role or something like that. Uh, not saying he'll be as good as Eckler or even close. I just mean to say like, you know, they don't ask him to get more than eight carries. So it doesn't matter that he sucks at running between the tackles. Right. It, it, exactly. Yeah. I always liked Abner's game really good in special teams as well. And then, uh, a guy who had a little bit of pre-combine hype. Do we need to write off Damien Pierce? Um, so his 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 numbers didn't stand out, but uh, that that cuts both ways. Like they didn't really trip any red flags for me either. Okay. I mean, he is densely built, did a really good job as a pass catcher. So I'm still interested in him uh, just because he fits into that just generously large category of like could he be okay if he gets a chance? And I don't see any reason to say he would be bad. So I kind of have to, you know, concede a spot for him, even though it's not really the top of my mind, really. Got it. All right. Well, that certainly checks out. Uh, that's going to do it for us here on a, on a loaded Rotowire fantasy football podcast. A lot that we, a lot of ground that we cover between the Russ trade, Aaron Rodgers, and a ton of, of incoming rookies following their performances at the Combine a week ago. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKegney. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, again brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.